Hello and welcome to the China Gaming Podcast. My name is Charlie and I'm joined from China with Austin, who is on the line. Today we're talking about the subject of game industry regulation inside China. This is sort of the third time we've talked about this topic. We first talked in July 2017 about game development in China. I'll include links to these podcasts in the show notes, by the way. That was the first point at which we were talking about the potential death of Steam inside China and how at the time we were talking about this might be the last summer sale inside China that we would participate in as both of us have switched our accounts back to the United States. And then again, in 2018, we recorded another podcast about game industry regulation. That also came in July of 2018. And that was the point at which I exited out of the game industry in China. The company which I was working with was unfortunately doing massive layoffs during that time due to some new regulation. Right. I think in uh, the 2018 one, we were talking about uh, the banning of Steam community features in China. And we uh, also discussed about the approval freeze. We've talked about approval freezes and bans on this podcast several times. So. Yeah, it's quite amazing that Steam still exists somewhat in a limbo position and has done so for three years, despite all these crazy crackdowns. I remember in a previous podcast, which we recorded in Chengdu, we were talking about how gaming fanatic teens who were identified as having addictive behavior were put into behavioral therapy camps and being subjected to electroshock therapy. I mean, really crazy stuff was going on even a couple of years ago. Yeah. Now, I mean, on that note, the gaming addiction and everything, that's kind of a big aspect of part of the push for the things that we're going to be discussing in this episode. Yeah. Ostensibly, I think that's kind of what it's all about. I mean, it seems like all of these measures are supposedly protective for vulnerable youth. Right. So uh, let's take that as a good point to segue into this. So for anyone who's not aware, in China recently, there has been a big push about making all of these different new laws, not just in the gaming industry. This is, you know, affecting some of my friends that are teachers. I'm worried about how it's potentially going to affect me. And this is a big push to incentivize child rearing in China. They want to get people interested in having kids again because there's been a decline. Now, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of these changes the way that it's potentially affect i mean it shouldn't even necessarily be affecting my job my job is you know at the moment an extracurricular training center it's optional and that is the stuff that's being targeted now some of the laws that are going to be affecting the game industry they're targeted at the youth and curbing gaming addiction the uh, government is worried also that children are going to develop myopia, I believe is what it's called. I think that's it. Yeah. Like vision problems. We, we talked about this as being like a fairly ridiculous pretext for enacting this kind of legislation. Right. Which obviously was fake. I mean, a couple of years ago, they were like, oh, well, too much game time is causing eye problems in the youth. And, you know, you and I, a couple of years ago, were like, yeah, that sounds like bullshit. It sounds like you're trying to control people's behavior and you're trying to control the influence of young people, especially who are being influenced by non-Chinese games. At the time, I think it was PUBG. Right. And there, there are no studies out there to sufficiently back up these claims, which, you know, is what makes it so preposterous that the government is enacting, you know, laws to affect the whole country based on claims that are not backed up. Yeah. 
So now we're, we're thrust back into this subject. Over really the last, uh, I guess, month and a half or so, certainly the last month, there's been an intensification of discussion and scrutiny on what's happening inside China. Obviously, there's so much regulation happening in China. The business landscape is changing so rapidly. This is not just isolated to games, of course. Uh, there's all sorts of crackdowns simultaneously occurring inside China. And really, though, the duration of the time that we have been in China. I really think starting with Xi Jinping, Chairman Xi Jinping taking power in 2012 was sort of a changing of winds within China with regard to regulation on industry and control over behavior, where those things became a lot more common and a lot more frequent. So the game industry is kind of just one of the latest casualties, I guess. Which is quite a casualty, considering we've talked many times on this podcast about how China's the largest gaming industry in the world. Um, there are more gamers inside China than any other country. The amount of time that people have been playing games inside China is longer than anywhere else. I mean, we see a lot of like addictive sort of behavior. You know, many Chinese kids in particular, but adults too, playing games just nonstop, basically, because the types of games which are most popular in China tend to be like hyper addictive online multiplayer games. Yeah, they're, uh, I mean, a lot of the games are kind of what I think most people that look at the game industry critically view as toxic. Yeah, they're not playing Metroid or Zelda. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is like 10,000 hours in some online game, which never ends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, it's pretty crazy, crazy stuff. So, I mean, I think... Let's take a step back a few months. So part of what started all of this current discussion specifically regarding the game industry, you know, I mean, I'm sure you probably know about some of the stuff that's been happening in the education sector over here. Maybe, you know, some people that have been going through that stuff. Tell, describe that really quickly. I mean, I've heard about it, but describe what's going on in regulation on education. Okay. So like in the education industry, they are essentially enacting these laws that are saying that basically anything that's not part of the core curriculum, the school subjects or whatever, should uh, be made into a nonprofit organization. So a lot of these places are now being shut down. Huge companies are, you know, declaring bankruptcy, laying off employees, all of this stuff. Even some companies before this stuff, you know, kind of went into effect. I mean, people are trying to get out of their business while they can and just take their money and run. So it's been a little crazy. Shane, I think, and the game group was working for a online company because he's moved back to Canada. So he's been teaching online abroad and he received an email stating that we really appreciate your help and everybody who's been a part of the growth of this company, but things are going to change. That being said, we still, you know, are fulfilling our contracts to clients and everything and that we want to uh, finish things up and go as long as we possibly can. So, I mean, that sounds at least confidence inspiring that his work's not going to vanish tomorrow, but over the next couple of weeks or so, his schedule, he would go wake up and take a look at, uh, his schedule and classes were dropping off eventually until I, I believe as of not too long ago, he just hasn't had any classes scheduled. I mean, he's looking at it himself personally as a good opportunity to get into something else. But I mean, there are like a lot of people that I mean, this was their plan or whatever. I mean, it's it's I mean, it's pretty 
sudden changes and nobody really knows exactly what's going on. And I mean, the weirdest part about it is that, I mean, English is a core part of the curriculum here. You'd think it would affect something kung fu classes after school or something like that. But no, I mean, like English is a part of the core curriculum. It should still be able to operate as it normally does. And uh, it's not. So it's just kind of a shit show, which is also what's kind of going on with, you know, the advance into the tech industry. And as I said, all of these new laws are to incentivize having children. But I don't see how like shutting down the optional English training center or making your child not play games is going to incentivize having children. And ultimately, what it really comes down to is like the government not having enough faith in people being able to take on the responsibility of parenthood, which I mean, to be fair, there are plenty of shitty parents out there. But I mean, we should be probably encouraging parents to do a better job, not the government taking on the full responsibility of disciplining and parenting the youth of the nation. It seems like these measures make being a parent much more difficult. First of all, kids, I mean, effectively can't play games now. So now to talk about the most recent development, one of them is that people under the age of 18 can only play for three hours a week. So Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, is that right? Right. I think those three days only from eight to 9 PM are minors permitted to play games and they're using a facial identification technology in some private companies to verify that the restriction is not being bypassed and after school programs for English training have been shut down and you know all across the nation well hold up a sec before we dive into that i just want to point out like how this started to come about in the discussion around this how this all started to come out and than as it's being enacted and everything. So, I mean, this maybe a few months back or so, the Economic Information Daily, which is a business newspaper owned by Xinhua News Agency, the official outlet for like government related news, like sanctioned news or whatever. And it was a really long article and they used terms such as opium and electronic drug and like really negative, negative connotation to describe the harmful effects of gaming on the children. And just to, before you, for those who don't know, I mean, citing opium is such strong verbiage to use inside China. It's almost like calling things meth in the United States. It's like everybody in China knows that opium is responsible for the hundred years of humiliation in China. I mean, there's a lot of like emotional ties to that choice of words. So think spiritual opium is the word they choose. Yeah, I mean, it's even stronger than meth in America. You know, I mean, we can joke about that shit in America and stuff. I mean, it's just a really, really serious topic. It's heavy handed propaganda being pulled out here. Yeah. So this article has since been removed. It was pulled and they did since put up a new article that does not use this heevy handed language to discuss it, but I mean uh they do cite popular games in China, like Honor of Kings, which is owned by Tencent, other things in online games they're just harmful, and that people need to be vigilant about the uh effects of these online games, and they need to adopt appropriate regulations early on, 
So after that, Tencent shares fell over 10%, recovered a little bit. But like by the end of that day, after that article was published, they were still down 6%, which I mean, for a company valued as highly as Tencent, I mean, that's like probably more money than I'll make in my lifetime. You know, So uh, the stock has gone up since they republished the article without using terms like spiritual opium. But China has now published these new strict laws, which you started to go into about, you know, anyone under the age of 18 is having these strict regulations. This is not like a lot of game time. And, and I mean, them using facial recognition, I mean, in a country where you give up a lot of your privacy, there are privacy laws here like we have in America. So you're essentially just allowing Tencent to watch you all the time to quote unquote, ensure you're of the right age. I mean, it's a little discomforting. I mean, even if the intention is supposed to be a healthy one, it's discomforting. And I think it's pretty strict measures. People's online reactions are like pretty varied. You've got a lot of nationalists here that are really supportive of the measures that many parents online have said that addiction to online games has affected their children's studies, physical and mental health, leading to a series of problems that that are making themselves suffer. A lot of people are actually here are pretty supportive of it. Yeah. So, I mean, as I was saying before, some of these games that are coming out and that are popular in the just China gaming scene are kind of what I describe as toxic, right? But not everything is that way. And I mean, you know, we've discussed several games that come out of China before. We obviously would love to see more great games come out of China. But I mean, this is impacting the game industry as a whole. So, I mean, a company like Tencent can stomach a huge loss and still continue functioning. But I mean, we're going to see a lot of smaller companies just not be able to make it work, at least make it work inside of China. And they're trying to uh, really, really make it harder to break out of China, too. So, uh, I mean, this is concerning to like, how is Steam going to continue operating with things like that? I mean, it has been in limbo, as you said before, but I mean, that may not be the case in the future. We've just kind of been waiting. We've talked about what sort of concerns we have over the changes to the Steam platform coming out in China and what that would mean for everybody. But I mean, just increasingly more concerning, you know, the direction that things are going in. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, we often talk about how there are so few games that we're interested in playing, which come out of China. Unfortunately, this regulation, I mean, these new developments make the chance that we'll be playing games from China almost zero. Because every small and medium-sized developer is going to be knocked out. I mean, there's really no way that they could possibly survive inside mainland China with these kind of conditions. So the market is going to continue to be dominated by companies like Tencent, companies like NetEase, the big corporate people who run the board inside China. And it's interesting to see them sort of take a different tack here with this regulation over the last week, I'm not sure if you've observed this, but a lot of these major developers and publishers like NetEase and Tencent Inside China are taking a proactive approach. So the government says games are dangerous, they're spiritual opium, they're harming our children. And then immediately there's like a conglomerate of 
corporate Chinese developers and publishers. Now there's over 200 of them, which are pledging their commitment to regulate their industry to combat gaming addiction, including through the possible use of facial recognition to identify minors, a state-backed gaming association said on Friday. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, the, the government comes out and says, games are harmful. We're going to regulate them. We're going to severely limit the uh, ability of minors to play games. And then all of the creators of those games jump out and say, oh yeah, it's super dangerous, super harmful. We have a societal obligation to, this is the way that China works. Like all of these companies, which have been penalized extremely harshly, have to turn around and act like, oh, the government is stating an obvious truth, which we all should have been on board with to begin with. I mean, they really have to grovel for any success which they can get now. Right, right. And I mean, Tencent and other companies have already implemented requirements for ID and real name recognition and everything that we think. And recently they said that they've been working on various new technologies and functions for the protection of minors since 2017. But Tencent also showed their earnings in an earning presentation that players under the age of 16 accounted for only 2.6% of its gross gaming receipts in China. So if, if it accounts for such a small percentage of the people actually using these, these products, playing these games, why are such drastic measures being implemented? I mean, if it's 2.6% of their income coming from this age group, then it's insane to see. I do know. I do know. Yeah. To see that these kind of changes are making it, would you say 35% that they've dropped? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like they are enacting changes here that are (laughs) way larger impacting than just a small fraction of the people actually playing these games. A lot of these headlines recently are things. Here's some headlines recently. China cracks down on showbiz for polluting society. China ordered broadcasters on Thursday to shun artists with incorrect political positions and, quote, effeminate styles and said a patriotic atmosphere needed to be cultivated, widening a crackdown on its booming entertainment industry. Oh, yeah. What do you call that? Dan May or whatever? These sort of headlines are becoming extremely common in China now. Control of the Internet, control of entertainment, control of television, video games, music. It's crazy. So what is that term, though? It's like Dan May, Dan, Dan May. I don't know if I'm saying it, pronouncing it correctly, but like, uh, yeah, so it's like the effeminate, whatever. Which, I mean, these are just like absurd claims. It's getting like a little bit surreal. So like Chinese gamers obviously are pretty, there's a large public outcry. I mean, like people on Weibo are saying things like this policy presumes that gaming is bad. I mean, there have been numerous research studies, articles, like scientific articles published and things that show that gaming is good when there aren't, there is not nearly as much or even some of the claims that they're making any scientific research to back up some of these claims, but there's plenty out there that goes against what they're doing. Many people have pointed out the drawbacks are imposing a blanket ban And they've suggested that maybe rules should apply for different groups. Like they're upset. They're like, is the age of a seven-year-old and the 17-year-old the same? So, and people are really, really concerned. I mean, esports is a huge thing here. And they're really concerned that this is just going to basically 
just kill the competitive gaming scene in China. I mean, the competitive gaming scene is mostly dominated by teens and the youth. And if the youth can't even play here, someone who's been competitively playing all of their teen years versus someone who can actually start really playing games after they're 18, there's no competition. So, I mean, people in China, at least the gamers in China, are like devastated. And I mean, justly so. It's all valid points. I have a question for you. What I'd really like to know is, and one of the big questions which people are asking now is, what is going to be the capability which the market has to respond to this regulation bypassing it? Or will there be a gray market? Will there be a black market? Will people find ways to bypass this? We know that there are so many restrictions on the market now. What's your sense of inside China? Let's say when you go to Computer City, which is like the big electronics mall, which is ever present in urban China, do you notice anything different? Are people more skittish? Are they more concerned about police or regulation? Or is it kind of business as usual? Uh, I mean, to say it's business as usual, when I first moved here, the computer city here in Chengdu was awesome. You could get whatever you wanted done, done there. You want hard chipped 360? You can get that there. Do you want to modify any of your electronic equipment? You could do that there. Just It was cheap. It was just awesome. It was a very convenient thing to have. And gradually... We have seen these clampdowns and we see police raids. They come in, they cover, they throw a blanket over things or whatever, act like everything's cool. And it has gotten increasingly more hostile. They don't offer things cheaply anymore. It's easier to go. Like what? Uh, game prices are marked up. Console my prices are marked up. If you want repairs or anything done, it's all marked up. Everything's cheaper on Taobao than it is at Computer City. So a lot of people are just choosing not to go in there. They've gotten lazy. Most of the people don't want to do business with you. They don't care. You either do business with them or they don't. They don't haggle there. They don't do anything. They just suggest you move along. So, I mean, it's not. It just feels cold, emotionless. The people that do business there aren't excited about technology. It just, it feels, I mean, there's a tendency to go into a, a lot of places in China where you have these soulless employees that have just been crushed and they escape away on their phones into social media or whatever. And that didn't always seem to be the case at Computer City, but increasingly more so. It's just their souls have been crushed. It's harder for them to make a buck and they don't really care too much about it. They put most of their business online anyways, increasingly, and it's harder to get away with things. One of our favorite shops, who the Dolphin Shop here in Chengdu, who's helped out so many people in CGF over the years, is in a bigger shop than ever before. But I don't think business is as good as it used to be. And a lot of the services that they've offered in the past, modifying systems, things like that, custom work and stuff. They just don't offer it there anymore. So, I mean, it's definitely impacting the businesses a lot, both in services offered and just in demeanor and customer service of the uh, employees that happen to work in places like this. It's really definitely a different scene than it used to be. And as I said, gamers aren't happy about this. Businesses aren't happy. And these are the people that it's affecting the most. Shops in places like this are small mom and pop 
shops. They're not able to cut it the way that a company like Tencent can. And eventually, I'm sure plenty of these places are just going to go out of business. It's not great. Yeah, right. Uh, So I kind of wonder, do you have any sense for what you think is coming next? Because we know that as we've seen this circumstance develop over the last three years, it's just gotten more and more harsh. It's gotten more and more restrictive of gamers and of just even adults having autonomy to do what they want and play what they want. It seems like ostensibly this whole thing is about protecting children, but it doesn't feel like that's really the case. It feels like this is about controlling society and adults are being controlled just as much as children are here. But I wonder what kind of regulation is coming next. Like where, how does this get worse? I mean, I feel confident it'll get worse. I think you agree, but not sure exactly how that's going to happen. Oh, I mean, I've got some theories. So Josh, Josh, yeah, the guy who, who writes for South China Morning Post, he uh, not too long ago wrote an article talking about some discussion in the industry that shows that the approval processes have been slowing down. There have been fewer and fewer approvals. So there's a, a lot of concerns around there being another just approval freeze. Yeah, we've gone through a, a lot of that, actually. A couple of years ago, there was an approval freeze where no publishers could publish any new games. And about five years ago, they made law where non-Chinese company could publish a game inside China directly. You have to work with a Chinese publisher. Publishing in particular seems to be like the most restrictive and dangerous area of the games industry inside China. Right. I mean, we've talked at great length about it and we've talked about the condition of the eShop on the officially sanctioned Tencent partnership switch here. And it was abysmal, you know, I mean, it was, I think, five games on launch or something. And it's just moving. I mean, it's no big surprise, but it's moving further and further into this big brother state where previously the gaming industry was free here. I mean, you had workarounds and all kinds of things, and it's increasingly becoming more restrictive, harder to get around a lot of these things. It's very plausible to think that in 10 years, we're going to be able to play a small handful of games that are government-sanctioned games. Games like Save China, or what was the... uh, Chinese branded PUBG uh, War for Peace or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's it. War for Peace. <laughs> yeah. Wave goodbye. The most Orwellian name of all time. Yeah. So it's bleak and depressing. It doesn't have exciting developments in the future, in my opinion. I just think it's going to get increasingly worse. Yeah, it definitely looks that way. I wonder if we see any development on Steam specifically in the near future. I know that there's a mainland PS5, which just came out. People are talking about it's vulnerable to some sort of crack, which can make it play non-Chinese games. That's cool. The old mainland PS4 used to be that way. There was actually like a button combination, which you hit in a menu, which is an amazingly cool way to do that. But they apparently patched that out with some firmware. Reminds me of Konami. Yeah, like a Konami code in the menu to unlock non-Chinese games. That's amazing. (laughs) I love the way that someone made that work coolest easter egg ever yeah but now with the ps5 i guess the status is the same as the switch there's probably like three games available inside china yeah not very fun not very fun i do know some chinese friends over the last year or so who uh, are not really gamers and they accidentally picked up mainland switch and they found that a lot of the games that they wanted to play they just couldn't access so 
And there's not a lot of readily available information like this out there because of the control of the flow of information and the media control here. It's not like you can just hop on Baidu and and say, what version of Switch do I want to buy and how do I get past the Great Firewall? (laughs) This is the state of Big Brother, and he doesn't want you to do that. So it's depressing but it is what it is make the most of it and see how it affects us as foreigners living here over time and go from there i guess but this is where we're at at this point in time i think that pretty much is all of the stuff that i've been able to find on what's going on now it's really just kind of a wait and see kind of situation well, there's certainly more questions than our answers with this subject. And we knew going into this podcast, we've talked about this subject, game regulation on in China in a couple previous podcasts, which has already been mentioned. But there's always the question of, you know, what's going on? What are their motivations? What's going to happen next? Is this going to be enforceable? And I think everybody's kind of asking these questions now. So there's not a lot of easy answers here, but it does look bad. I mean, it, it does look like the situation is not going to improve anytime soon. In fact, it's probably going to get worse. We don't know exactly how, but the, one of the last things I want to mention here is, first of all, we hope this information has been useful for some people listening to this just to get a better idea of what's happening, what the conditions and the atmosphere of the China game industry are. But you already mentioned Josh. I'm glad you did. He's a journalist who is publishing a lot of information about this on South China Morning Post and in other places too. So we'll include a link to some of his work. He published an article recently which is titled China's Titan Limits for Kids Gaming Time Raises Questions About Tolerance for Foreign Platforms and VPNs. Right. And he mentioned the China Gaming Federation in there. So that's kind of cool. But he's writing a lot about this stuff. And so he's a good source of information on this. He also cites a couple of other industry sources, which do some forecasting or prediction on what they think is coming. There's another resource, which I found, which is really good. I'm not sure if you've read this, actually. There is a law firm, which is located in Shanghai and in San Francisco, which is called uh, Pillar Legal. And Pillar Legal has, uh, they've published a fifth edition of their legal primer on regulation of China's digital game industry, which is, you know, not like a page turner maybe, but I mean, it's a couple dozen pages long and it's a legal introduction to the sorts of restrictions which China has in the law for digital games. And so this is the fifth edition. It must be very difficult to compose this sort of document because you're reading all the source material, which is in Chinese law. And much of this stuff is difficult to translate, difficult to understand, abstract, obtuse, and so on. But this link, which I'll include in the show notes, is a really good way to understand the legal side of what China is doing. And I haven't seen much scrutiny or discussion of this. I haven't seen it linked to anywhere else in any kind of publication which attempts to describe what is going on. So that's a good source of information. You and I have already switched our Steam accounts to the United States. I know that we've had this concern for many years of potentially losing access to your Steam library. I think that probably most people in CGF, and there are 300 people in there, have probably already transferred their account outside of China into their home country, which is usually Canada or Europe or the U.S., so that's one protective measure which people can take, but it is interesting to read this stuff. When I see these headlines about China doing these sort of things, I just feel a lot of sadness for people who have committed themselves to working inside the game industry. When I left my last company in 2018, most of the people that I worked with, I would say, were not 
like really passionate gamers in the way that we are, but some of them really were. And some of them I became friends with and we played some games online and talked about games. And some of these guys had similar sensibilities to you or I in terms of like the types of games, which they really liked their distaste for popular games inside China. And it really hurts to think about how the career opportunities for these people are just being crushed. I mean, it's not just career opportunities either. You just described friendships blossoming from this. You and I have done CGF for years and made great friends through CGF. We have, it is more than just work. I mean, there's passion, art, creativity, a lot of really cool things. And it's just, it's sad. It's sad. Yeah, it is sad. That's right. Yeah. But I mean, on a more positive note, as we wrap up here, we could talk a little bit about some of the games that we've been playing recently. And I know you have been playing one game in particular that's primarily taken a sort of hyperfixation for you <laughs> for the last few weeks or so. Yeah, nice choice of words, hyperfixation. Yeah, that's definitely true. It's definitely accurate. The game is Factorio, which is a uh, builder game, sort of a logistics planning game where you're building a factory. And I had played this game a couple years ago with another guy in CGF named Alex. I think it was in early access in 2018 or 2019 when I played it. Played it for a couple hours, enjoyed it. I played it multiplayer with him. And then years passed. I, it went into full release, I think, in September of 2020. So last year, as most people were kind of locked down in the US or stuck inside, the game came out and I installed it, I guess, a couple months ago. And it's so much more polished now. It's so much more complete. It's a game which I strongly recommend to anybody check out. It's kind of a little bit similar to like SimCity, a little bit that sort of uh, vibe of like laying down uh, structures and buildings and roads and interconnecting different resources. That's kind of what the game is about. But as you described, I mean, it's been hyperfixation. It's one of the most addictive games I've ever played, certainly. A little bit similar to Civilization's One More Turn phenomenon, where you just kind of don't want it to stop. And I've thought about this a lot over the last couple of weeks. I think that the phenomenon of the one more turn event is due to the feeling of motion or movement that you have, like things are moving and cascading and you kind of just don't want it to stop because the movement is sort of so regular and so fluid and there are no turns inside Factorio. So it's just this kind of perpetually moving machine and progressing. Yeah. All the tasks sort of bleed into each other. Like I have, a, I need to produce more iron or more copper. And so I go to build more, but it turns out I need to do some landscaping to clear space here, or I need to remove some one task leads into 10 others in a very seamless way, such that time just seems to collapse in some sort of interesting way in Factorio. I know people in civilization talk about, you start playing the game at like 8 PM and then you look at the clock and it's 4 AM. So it's that sort of phenomenon is in Factorio, but somehow even stronger in Factorio than in Civilization, in my experience. Yeah, I mean, you sold me on it. I am looking to pick up a couple of games this weekend going into the holidays here next week. And you and Alex and others have sold me on it. I think I'm going to be picking that up. But my my main thing that I'm picking up on this week my hyperfixation as I've gone off extensively in several of the CGF groups and subgroups and to you and to anybody I can talk to about it is that uh, today, I think the echoes of the eye 
DLCs coming out for Outer Wilds, and Outer Wilds is just possibly in my top 25 games of all time list. It's definitely one of my favorite games of the last decade. It's unlike anything else out there. The just the feelings it evokes, the I mean, it's just really unique. And I mean, it can be compared to many different games out there. It is a space exploration game similar to, say, No Man's Sky, but it's a much smaller and more it's handcrafted, not procedural generation. So it's really the attention to detail. The world feels alive, the time and everything, which it's a uh, a time loop game, which is kind of trending now. We just had Death Loop come out maybe what a week or two ago. It's like Groundhog Day in space with Breath of the Wild type exploration, but it's even more open-ended than Breath of the Wild is. Fantastic game. I absolutely adore it. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Outer Wilds, I'll check it out. Yeah, I mean, I have been I checked out your Steam profile prior to recording this and you have definitely been putting in the time playing Steam games. It's funny you and I have gone I mean, I feel like I've gone years without playing Steam games really much at all until Factorio. Factorio is the first game I played on Steam like a lot in years. Same for me, man. I hadn't played Steam for quite a while and you saw my hours. There are obscene hours recently. I've been kind of dealing with just a lot of different stresses here, visa and concerns over the whole job situation and just kind of needed an outlet and escape. And I got burnt out on Death Stranding and needed a break from it and just booted up Steam and just spiraled into my backlog. I mean, I'm playing Kane and Lynch 2 right now, which speaking of the censorship that we talked about happening in China and stuff, Kane and Lynch does some creative censorship that actually adds artistic merit to the game. And I think that thinking about things like that are cool. It, everything doesn't have to be you know, so fucked up, even though the game, the game is fucked up. It's like the most fucked up game I've played in a long time. It's actually kind of physically disgusting. It makes you feel sick, but I like it. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, This has been interesting to talk about this subject with you. We hope this has been a fruitful listen for listeners. I'm sure we will touch on this subject again. The only question is how long, how much time will pass until the next discussion about China's game industry regulations? Because this is a story which is going to be unfolding for a decade or something like that. A very long time. Sure, sure. Well, this uh, podcast will be posted on the website. You will find show notes uh, along with this. And yeah, thanks for listening. Late.